Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Aaron O'Toole reaffirms that he is pro-choice. If he's going to be a good Tory, well, that means he may also have uh, somewhat more progressive views on certain social issues. But if true blue means a right-wing social conservative, then that's something totally different. The Prime Minister says now isn't the time to discuss getting rid of the monarchy. The answer is not to suddenly toss out all the institutions and start over. The, The answer is to look very carefully at those systems and listen to Canadians who face discrimination every single day. And the military moves to address sexual harassment within its ranks. Military culture is characterized by compliance of unity, of um, cohesion. And once you know anyone sort of steps outside of that or challenges any sort of instruction or, or culture, gets to, it gets ostracized. It's Wednesday, March the 10th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Mark. Aaron O'Toole has reaffirmed uh, to reporters that he is pro-choice, and this comes at a really interesting time because there are pro-life groups that are talking about advancing that cause at the upcoming Conservative Convention, and there is a lot of talk and reports of sources being quoted as saying there are divisions in the Conservative caucus over these kinds of issues, particularly because Aaron O'Toole ran as a quote-unquote true blue and is now leading the party more towards the centre. So, what do you make of all of this, and and what does it say about the future of Aaron O'Toole's leadership of the Conservatives? Well, it's one of those unfortunate things for uh, an opposition leader who is not well-known across the country to start with, to, um, you know, establish his own narrative and uh, define himself, him or herself, uh, to the public. Uh, in this case, it's a whole party that is now wrestling within itself. It has been doing that since the day Stephen Harper retired. And it is a party really in search of its own identity. Um, you know, having compa- campaigned as true blue, uh, every time I see that, I wonder what does that actually mean? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those um, phrases that you can take however you see fit. And I mean, if he's going to be a good Tory, uh, well, that means he may also have uh, somewhat more progressive views on certain social issues. But if true blue means I'm a right-wing social conservative, then that's something totally different. And and I do think um, O'Toole uh, w- has been trying to have it both ways. But now as we get closer to an election and as the opposition parties hammer away at him and the media, um, you know, he's got to take a lane. And um, this upcoming conservative uh, meeting is going to force O'Toole, I think, to pick that lane and stick with it, because uh, leaving everyone guessing is not helping his cause right now. Yeah, and do you think that these are the normal growing pains for any conservative leader or perhaps even any opposition leader that when you're when you're not in power, when you're not winning, there is always going to be that level of scrutiny. There are going to be people second guessing. Uh, is this just par for the course or is it are these kind of unique circumstances for Aaron O'Toole? Well, it is a different situation for the Conservatives and for O'Toole, I think, Mark. I mean, no one is uh, calling for the head of Jagmeet Singh. 
and he's been leader of the NDP longer than O'Toole's been leader of the Conservatives. Uh, it's partly the just the notoriously fractious nature of the Conservative Party. I mean, either you have a leader in the sort of genre of Brian Mulroney, who was everybody's buddy and would do favors for people and call up on your uh, oldest daughter's birthday and things like that and keep everyone in the tent. Or you can be the Stephen Harper type that governs and rules the party by fear and suspicion. Um, but you have to exercise power in a way uh, within your own group uh, in a way that's actually effective. And um, the conservatives think they should be running Canada. Uh, they believe they're, and they are, one of the two great parties of this country, and uh, they they always want to aspire to that type of national leadership. The problem is they've got so many, uh, you know, little hens running around behind them pecking at the their heels and uh, causing internal troubles, like the social conservatives that are, are trying to um, gain control uh, of the party in some of its key positions. Uh, this is really counterproductive to the overall party goal of restoring itself to power. All right, let's talk about the monarchy. Uh, since the Oprah interview with Harry and Meghan on Sunday, there has been a lot of talk about the future of the royal family. There had been polls even before that that showed that more Canadians than ever would like to cut ties with the monarchy. Uh, of course, it's not that simple. It's very problematic to do anything in this area. And the Prime Minister was asked about it yesterday, said that uh, this isn't the time, it's not a priority. But what do you think about how this storyline is evolving and how much it's changed this week? Well, I think the, the number one thing that, uh, you know, has come to the fore is this... Uh, uh, you know, reminder that the British Empire and subsequently the Commonwealth were built on the backs of brown and black people around the world. Uh, and, you know, the, the English were never great at understanding um, the races that they had cobbled together into what we used to call the British Empire. You know, the monarch, uh, by definition, um, more or less agrees with all of those things. So now, because it's happened within their own family of the, the royals, they're forced to confront the racist uh, past and history of the of the empire and the Commonwealth. So this is what really has been stirred up by this Meghan and Harry thing, which would otherwise just be a celebrity gossip story. Uh, but, you know, there are real issues there. And, I mean, uh, you know, the Australians are not keen about the monarchy. Uh, lots of other countries that are still in the Commonwealth umbrella uh, find the Queen a convenient head of state because it doesn't bring the problems right back home. Uh, but at the same time, in the, in the 21st century that we're in, uh, you know, we have to uh, find ways of modernizing all these institutions. Now, in Canada, we can't even seem to get a governor general we can all be happy with. So we've got a long way to go. But as you said, I mean, we, you know, try to amend the Constitution in this country, Mark, to either get rid of the Queen or bring in the gas mains enabling bill. You know, it's almost impossible with the strictures that are there from the 82 amending formula. So, you know, the Queen's going to be here for a long time to come. Um, whether or not we pay much attention to the antics of the royal family is a totally different question. Hmm. All right. Let's talk about the issue of sexual harassment and allegations of it in the senior ranks of the Canadian military. 
the military is taking steps to address this, although they have said that before. It's worth pointing out. Uh, what do you think about uh, what can be done at this time as the investigation into allegations against the most recent and the predecessor to the most recent chief of the defense staff continue? Well, it's it's disturbing. It's discouraging. Uh, you know, Mark, the, uh, the officer class of the Canadian Armed Forces and every other military, and I, I've worked, you know, full disclosure, I've worked with the military before, you know, as a consultant and things like that. Um, but the officers are supposedly trained uh, to conduct themselves, um, you know, with high ethical standards and, and honorable standards. And that's why this Operation Honor, uh, you know, which was to uh, eliminate sexual misconduct in the military, that's been around since 2015. This is five years that they've had a formal, uh, you know, operational imperative within the Canadian military to reduce and eliminate um, sexism, harassment, and, and things like that, and discrimination. And uh, yet now, uh, five years later, we're finding out the people uh, tasked with administering that are also being dragged into this swamp. So, uh, you know, the military, of course, uh, like uh, many institutions, was an old boys club for centuries and generations. And now it's being forced to adapt to the times and to make itself a modern uh, organization. Uh, but, Mark, these are serious issues. I mean, the military can't get enough people to fill all its roles. I mean, it needs everybody from gunners to technicians to truck drivers. And people are not going to be interested in joining an organization that can't seem to uh, sort itself out and impose its own internal discipline. So, uh, you know, it's really bad. It's very discouraging, and it's a massive distraction from the role of the military, which is to provide national security for the country. So they've got to get this sorted out, and they've got to re- restore confidence in the senior ranks if it means laying about with a broad axe and firing the lot of them. So, you know, the, the government has the power to make these changes, and they really have got to push on the military so hard that they can't ignore it anymore. And and that's really the issue. You've got a giant organization, very hard to move, very hard to change, uh, but it has to be done. All right, as we wrap up, Dan, just a quick thought from you on some of the back and forth in Parliament over the last few days with the Liberals accusing the Conservatives of obstructing Parliament and obstructing the government's agenda. Do you see that as, as laying the groundwork potentially for a narrative that would lead the Prime Minister to ask for a spring election? Well, the short answer to that, of course, is yes, because all parties in a minority situation have to remain in a state of election readiness or preparation uh, at virtually all times. And, you know, one of the uh, characteristics of a minority parliament is that the parties spend all their time maneuvering, positioning, preening, posing, and making statements, which they hope later will be great clips in an election campaign. And they also hope that their their, their opponents, their rivals, will say uh, appropriately stupid or irresponsible things, which will also provide fodder. Uh, meanwhile, the country is laboring through this pandemic that is stubbornly hanging on. Uh, there are always glitches uh, to try to remedy this thing. And uh, I think really people are paying much less attention to the posing of parliamentarians than they are to the uh, perils of the pandemic, if you'll 
you know, forgive my alliteration there, but that, I think those are the priorities, and I think the, all the parties would be well advised to remember that and, and to make, the, if they want a good argument to make in an election, if it were to happen next week, they want to be able to stand up in front of Canadians and say, I worked, we worked our tails off to fight this pandemic, and, and that's got to be the most effective message any party can put to the public right now. All right, Dan, great to have your comments on all of this today. Thank you. Okay, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Right now, across the country, we're getting vaccines to Canadians. We now have four vaccines approved by independent regulators in Canada, more than any other country. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today in an editorial. The Toronto Sun argues vaccines are a welcome shot in the arm. But we're not out of the woods just yet. The Sun writes, We're already seeing the benefit, with deaths in long-term care homes rapidly declining as more residents are vaccinated. That said, Canada is far behind other G7 countries in the percentage of our population that has received one dose of vaccines, let alone two. This makes it vital the provincial governments do a better job of delivering vaccines into people's arms than the federal government did in acquiring them. In the Globe and Mail, Peter Sean Taylor asks who would foot the bill for paid sick days. Taylor writes, An employer-paid mandate would place a significant burden on business owners at a very delicate time. If we assume every full-time worker took all paid sick days provided, a new 10-day-per-year requirement could add 4 to 8% to annual payroll costs. That's no recipe for a robust post-pandemic recovery. We can have a debate about the merits of employer-paid sick days once the recovery is underway. But a temporary crisis calls for a temporary solution. In the National Post, Rupa Subramanya argues Canada should abolish the monarchy. She writes, After the departure of Julie Payette, Canadians had already begun to ask questions about the country's antiquated constitutional setup. Change isn't going to be easy. Removing the Queen as head of state would require approval by all provincial legislatures and both houses of Parliament. But the crisis in the royal family, coming on the heels of the Payette debacle, presents the perfect opportunity to have a conversation about the fundamental necessity for deep constitutional reform. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. A parliamentary committee will hear today from two ministers and top government officials as it looks into quarantine hotels. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on a policy that has been dogged by controversy. Mark, from 3.30 Eastern Time on, the Public Safety Committee will hear from Public Safety Minister Bill Blair and Health Minister Patty Haidu. Also from the head of the Canada Public Health Agency and senior officials from the RCMP and the Canada Border Services Agency. Now, while many Canadians support the rationale behind the government's decision to oblige air travellers arriving in Canada to stay at their own expense at federally designated secure hotels for up to three days while they await their COVID test, it's more the reports of what's been going wrong which have caused concern. There have been numerous reports of extreme difficulties and delays in booking rooms, poor service in terms of food and other amenities, and crowding upon arrival which has even posed a risk of contagion. And there have been a few cases reported of women assaulted in the hotel facilities. The government has defended its record and also said it's up to the individual hotels to respect certain standards. 
But that hasn't stopped the reports of shortcomings. And that's gotten to the point where the Conservatives have called on the government to scrap the whole program and start anew. So, Mark, it will be an interesting three hours of committee hearings to watch today. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference after the NDP's virtual caucus meeting. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will hold a news conference to provide an update on long-term drinking water advisories on reserves. Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan will take part in the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada virtual conference. And Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson and Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will make an announcement about carbon pricing proceeds going to improve energy efficiency for Ontario schools. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, March the 10th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.